Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning. I want to add my welcome to those that you've already received. We're glad you could be with us this morning. Um, It dawned on me as we were greeting each other and stuff that some of you, shockingly, may not actually know who I am. And so my name is Jeannie. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, We're so glad you could join us this morning. And um, I want to start today out with a question. You know, we often like to start off with questions to get you thinking. So my question today is, have you ever had a desire or really been praying for something and it felt like your prayers weren't going any farther than the ceiling of whatever room you were in? I mean, you're praying and you're praying and you're praying and just nothing seems to be happening. There's just like silence. Well, for me, back, you know, years and years ago when I was in my 20s, um, it actually was quite a while ago, but anyway, <laughs> um, back when I was in my 20s, um, this was what was going on for me. You see, I was single, and I did not want to be single. I desperately did not want to be single. And I had all those well-meaning people who were coming up to me and saying, maybe you're called to be single and just, you know, that sounds so spiritual and stuff, but it's always married people that are saying that. You know, maybe you're called to be single. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the freedom of your life right now. And I was like, no. I know I am not called to be single. I want to be a wife. I want to be a mom. I want to, you know, I want to have all those things. And so... I would pray, and I would pray, and I would pray some more, and still it seemed like God wasn't answering. In fact, it almost seemed like he was mocking me, because, you see, every time a new guy would co- around my age would start coming to church, and now, okay, at this point, church was the only place that I knew to meet guys. Okay, so, yeah, that was a problem, too. But... So whenever a new guy would come to church, you know, he would A, already be dating someone, B, he would start dating my sister, or C, he would start dating one of my girlfriends. And I was like, seriously, what is going on? So it got to the point where I was praying, and I was praying, and I was praying, and I was like, okay, either God is not listening, he doesn't care, or he doesn't hear me. And I'm sure all of you have experienced something like this at some point in your life. Maybe it's not, you know, you desperately don't want to be single, but something, you know, like you might have an illness or a relative has an illness and you're praying and you're praying for that person to be healed and the healing doesn't happen. Or you're in a job that you hate and so you are desperately looking and praying for another opportunity to come along and that opportunity doesn't come. And so you end up sitting there thinking, okay, 
either God doesn't care, he doesn't understand, he's not listening, he doesn't hear me. And today, I want to introduce you to the story of a woman who had great, extraordinary faith, but I think she experienced in a way that same feeling of, is God really listening to me? Does he actually hear me? But before I want to introduce you to her, would you please pray with me as we start? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who recklessly pursues us with your love. I ask that my words today would not be my words, but your words, and that they would be an encouragement to people here today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the woman who I want to introduce you today, her name is Hannah. And some of you may have heard her story, but don't worry if you haven't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell it to you. Um, but just to give you a little bit of, of context, um, this story is actually in the Old Testament, and this Hannah's story actually took place at the end of the period that we call the Judges. So this was after Israel had been miraculously brought brought out of Egypt, and God had parted the Red Sea, and they'd come into the Promised Land, and everything was happy and hunky-dory, except not for Hannah. See, Hannah had a huge problem. Hannah couldn't have children. And back in this day, and actually even in some cultures today, for a woman to not be able to have children is a complete and utter disgrace. Basically, if you're married, if you were married back then, and you're a woman, your one and only job was to produce offspring for your husband. And so here was Hannah. She was stuck in a place where, and she's held shame for something that was entirely out of her control. And not only that, but she was bringing disgrace to her husband and her family by not being able to bear children. So then, just when you think, okay, that's pretty bad, but, you know, she's got her life, she's got... No, it gets worse. You see, Hannah's husband had another wife. No, this was very... Yes, it's shocking to us, but actually this was very common back then for for men to have more than one wife. It was very common and accepted. But um, (laughs) the second wife was named Penina, and here is Hannah's problem. Penina had absolutely no problem fulfilling her wifely duties and giving her husband offspring after offspring after offspring. And so (laughs) Hannah's in this situation, and she just doesn't have a happy life. Now, Her husband was a very devout man and um, every year would travel to another town where the tabernacle was located to to bring a yearly sacrifice. And it was actually called a fellowship offering. It was actually kind of like their Thanksgiving time. And so um, God had set up this really neat tradition where after you had offered your sacrifice and your meat, 
you would give a portion of that meat to the priest. That's how the priests, you know, survived and stuff. But then the rest of that sacrifice you would distribute among your own family, and your family would have a meal together, and you'd be thankful for God's blessings in your meal together. And so um, Hannah and Penina's husband did this every year, and so he, every year he would give a portion to Penina, and he'd give a, a portion to each of her children, but then with Hannah, he would either give her a double portion, or he would give her the best portion that they had because you see he loved uh, he loved Hannah more than he loved Penina and that was his way of of wanting to show that now that's great her husband loves her that's wonderful Um, but here's where this story starts to sound a little bit more like a soap opera and as you read the Old Testament you'll find that oh you know some of these soap operas could take their storylines right out of the Old Testament um, but, you know, it goes on and you learn that Panina is really not a very nice person. In fact, the writer calls her Hannah's rival. So imagine this, if you will. Imagine that there's something that you're really not so good at, but, you know, it's your job to do it, so you do it, but you don't do it so well. And then somebody comes along who absolutely nails this thing. And they do it so well, and not only that, but they boast and brag about it to everyone. They point out that you can't do it, and that person happens to also be married to your spouse. This was Hannah's life. Panina was really good at having babies. In fact, the, the writer doesn't tell us how many children that she had, But he uses the phrase, all her sons and daughters, which to me doesn't sound like just two or three kids. Sounds like she had a lot of kids. And so there's not only this, but then Penina, at every opportunity, mocks and provokes Hannah. In fact, when they they use the word provoke, it brings the image of thunder, like she was constantly coming after her like a thunderstorm, just ragging on her and mocking her and, and giving her problems. And not only did she do this at every opportunity, but she especially loved to do it when they go on their yearly trip to worship at the temple. So I want to go to what the Bible says at this point because it actually says it better than I can. So it says, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? So imagine this, if you will. You take this yearly trip with your husband and your family that's really special to go somewhere else and to worship God, and you really legitimately are there. You want to worship. And your husband's other wife takes every opportunity on that trip to mock you and provoke you and poke you and prod you until you just want to 
curl up in a ball and put your hands over your ears and not listen. And then on top of that, her husband really doesn't get it. And, you know, I really, I really, really want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I really do. But there are also times where I want to reach into my Bible and grab him and shake him and be like, how can you not see and understand what's going on in your own family? At this point in the last service, Pastor Brad said he's a man. He said it, not me. Um, but this, this is what's going on. And so her, and her husband doesn't get it. And so, you know, I, as I said, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, you got to wonder if he was either being willfully ignorant or he just was completely clueless. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, he comes to Hannah and he says, Honey, why are you so upset? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Don't I mean more to you than all of the children you could possibly have? Isn't my love enough for you? And at this point, some of us want to be like, well, duh. Clearly, no. But, see, here's something, here's something I want you to know today. We all have deep desires and things that we're praying for, and there are going to be times when even your closest friend or your spouse is not going to understand. I my husband loves me dearly. I know that he does. But I know for a fact that there are some times where he has no idea what is going on in my head or why I'm thinking the way that I'm thinking. And the opposite is also true. There are times where I have no idea what's going on in his head or why he is thinking the way that he is thinking or reacting the way that he is. That's just life. We we just can't always understand people's deepest dreams and desires. But even when that happens, here's the thing I know to be true. God understands. You remember a couple weeks ago when um, Pastor Brad introduced us to David? David wrote this really cool psalm that explains how deeply and intimately God knows and understands us. He wrote this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. God is our creator. And it says later on in the same psalm that he knit you together in your mother's womb. God is intimately acquainted with you. He knows you better than anyone else knows you. And so when you are going through a situation and no one else understands, God understands. And I think that deep down in her soul, Hannah knew this. 
because here's what happened next. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. I want you to hang on to that thought. It's important later. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forgive, forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So this was, you know, Thanksgiving time. And all of a sudden, Hannah just can't bear it anymore. And so she gets up from the table, and she goes into the sanctuary, and she falls on her face before God and, and begins to pour out her heart to him. Now, this wasn't just some, like, gentle crying or, you know, one glistening tear running down her cheek. This was deep, gut-wrenching grief and pain. And so she just took that and she poured it out to God. She was saying, I, I can't take this anymore, God. This was, I need you to step in. Hannah was at the end of her rope. She couldn't take it anymore. And you know the great thing about what Hannah does here that I think really shows her deep relationship with God was that she took her grief and her pain to the one person that she knew could actually do something about it. And so she just poured her heart out to him and she prayed and she grieved and she cried. And this is the same thing that we need to do. We need to take our grief and our pain to God. Don't suffer alone. Take your pain and your anguish to the one who can actually carry it and bear it with you. You know, God actually longs for us. He longs for us to bring him our struggles and our sorrows and our pain. And if you're not quite sure how to do that, may I recommend that you go to the book of Psalms because in the book of Psalms there are many, many places where the writer is just pouring out his grief and his agony and their raw emotions to God. In fact, David even writes at one point, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And I'm not saying at this point that when we do this, God is just going to take away our pain and our suffering or that he's going to change our circumstances. But what he does promise is that he will be with us. He is the God
So <clears throat> the story of Hannah goes on, and if you can believe it, it actually gets more interesting because remember um, Eli the priest who was sitting by the door of the temple and was watching? Well, at this point, he feels that he needs to intervene. So this is what happens. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Now, imagine for me, if you will, that you're going through some deep, deep pain of some sort, and you decide that you need to unburden yourself to God, and you just need to pour it out to God. And so, and you decide you need to do it at church. And so you come to the church, and you come into this room, and you stumble down to the front, and you fall on your knees, and you begin pouring out your grief and your pain to God. Now imagine that some well-meaning pastor comes along, and I'm not saying that Pastor Brad or I would ever do this, but imagine that some well-meaning pastor comes along, and they, they basically accuse you of having had too many adult beverages at Thanksgiving dinner. And they basically tell you to shape up. You get no sympathy. This is what happened to Hannah. She's there. She's in the sanctuary, the holy place, and she's pouring out her heart and her grief to God. And Eli accuses her of being drunk. Now, in Eli's defense, I'm sure that he had actually seen many people coming out from this meal having had too much to drink. And the other thing is, I don't think that Eli had seen many people with as deep of a faith and relationship with God as Hannah had. And so he saw her lips were moving and nothing was coming out, and the only thing he could think was, okay, she's, you know, she's been tipping back the drinks a little too much, enjoying her meal. So, but what, what I really love about this is Hannah's response. She doesn't lash out at him, or etc. She just she just responds in this way. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or excuse me, or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And what really strikes me in this, in this part is that Hannah still had a confidence in God. Do you notice that she didn't explain to Eli what was going on? I think she probably knew that Eli really wouldn't understand either. And Hannah had already given her grief and her pain to the one that she knew understood. And so all she needed to do to respond to Eli was to say, I was praying. I was pouring out my grief and pain to God. No, I'm not drunk. And so then Eli believed her, and he responded to her in this way, and he said, Go in peace 
and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. I think what Hannah did here is the most remarkable um, act of faith and trust in God. Do you notice it says, she went her way, ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. In other words, she had given her pain and her burden to the one who could handle it, and she left it with him, and she got up, and she kept going. And that is what we need to do. Did she know that God was going to answer her prayer and give her a child? No, she didn't know that. She had no way to know that, that her circumstances were going to change in any way. But she knew, she trusted, that God was going to take her life and use it for the redemptive purposes that he had in mind for his creation. And I think sometimes this is where we tend to fail. You know, we come and we, we lay our burdens and we lay our pain and our grief before God. And then we get up and we pick up those burdens and pain and take them right back with us again. And that's not what we need to do. We need to leave them with the one who can handle them. We need to get up, we need to wipe our faces, and we need to go in the direction that God says to go. Does this mean that we are going to like the plan that, or choose the plan that God has for our lives? No, not necessarily. But it does mean that God that we trust God and know that God understands and God is going to walk with us and be with us no matter what. There are still going to be times when we grieve and we have pain, but this is what we need to know and remember is that God hears us. God hears us. And you know, Hannah's story really ends in a remarkable way. God brought a remarkable end to her story. Because the Bible goes on to tell us, early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Do you notice that it says, that that passage says, in the course of time? To me, that kind of says, this still didn't happen immediately. Like, they didn't get go home, and the next day Hannah was pregnant. She still had to wait. She still had to trust. She still had to rely on God. And am I saying that when you pray and you pour out your pain in your heart to God, that God is always going to give you a yes 
to whatever you're praying for? No, I'm not saying that. Because we all know there are times where God doesn't say yes, or he says wait, or he says hold on. God isn't necessarily going to change every hard situation or circumstance that you have going on in your life. So the point of the story that I want you to, of the story of Hannah, that I want you to take away today is that God hears us. You know that the name, the meaning of the name Samuel is God hears. God hears. So, the same God, the same God who heard the cry of a woman thousands of years ago is the same God who hears you today. The same God who parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk on dry ground is the God who hears you today. The same God who fed thousands upon thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two small fish is the God who hears you today. The same God who spoke to the wind and the waves of a storm and told them to be silent and they listened is the God who hears you today. And the same God who defeated death and rose from the grave is the same God who hears you today. And this is the reason that we can stand and we can sing, we will not be moved when the earth gives way, for the risen one has overcome. Now, I've been going through something really hard and really painful in the last couple of weeks. And I can't say that it's ever, you know, it's going to end anytime soon. But as I've been pouring out my grief and my anguish and my pain to God, you know what I've been hearing? I've been hearing, I understand. I hear you. Trust me. And I don't know what kind of situations might be going on in your life. I don't know what kind of deep pain or whatever that you might be dealing with. But I want to encourage you today to remember that God hears you. We serve a mighty God, but he's not only mighty, he is love. And your creator hears you and he understands you. So, here's my challenge to you today. Maybe you're dealing something that was painful and you've been praying and you've been praying and you've been praying about it. I want you to give that to Jesus and let him have it. Let him take your burden and let him walk alongside you. And is it always going to be easy? No. But he promises, promises to be with you. And maybe you need a reminder. Did you know what Hannah did? 
she named her son God Hears so that every time somebody heard the name Samuel or she heard the name Samuel, she would be reminded that she has a God who hears her. And maybe you're someone like that who needs that reminder. I would encourage you to write God Hears or maybe a favorite verse on an index card and stick it to your bathroom mirror. Stick it to the steering wheel of your car, although don't always look down at the steering wheel of your car. But put it someplace where you're going to see it and know and be reminded that God hears you. So as we come to the table this morning, this isn't going to be an opportunity to respond. And as our servers come forward this morning, I really want to encourage you to take this time and respond. Maybe there's something, as I said, deep and painful in your life. You know what? After you've had your communion, please feel free to stay up here and pray. Pastor Brad or I would love to pray with you if that's something you want. But I just encourage you to give your burden to the one who can do something about it. And then get up and wipe your face and go in the direction that God has pointed you to go because he is faithful and he hears you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who hears us. You know when we sit and when we rise. You know everything about us, and you love us. I pray that you would help us to remember to bring our burdens to you and to lay them at your feet and allow you to walk with us as we travel us this road of life. We thank you for this time and what you will do through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name.